The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Not long ago, I asked you all to write in with the most urgent questions that you had about your careers, and I got a lot of mail. That's what a pandemic, a recession, and a lot of unemployment will do. But one question came up more than any other, and the people asking it were almost entirely women. They wrote to say, my family needs me right now. I'm thinking about taking time away from work. Can you do an episode about that? You bet we can. I called one of our listeners to learn more about it. Her name is Mirna Seti, and she lives in Florida. Mirna has two girls, ages eight and six. This spring, they were in kindergarten and second grade. They had to finish the year remotely. Mirna's an attorney in her 15th year of practice, and she loves it. But it's, it's been hard having the girls home. It's affected her attitude, a thing that she works hard to model positively for her children. Mirna thinks constantly about taking time off to help her family. Here, I'm going to let her explain. I have I have a good friend of mine who lives um, out of state, and we talk about this almost every single day. I am very lucky that uh, my husband is working, and he's in a profession that is very financially stable. Um, and and so I don't I don't we could get by without me working. And I am choosing to continue working. And this was, to some ex- to a great extent, something that I was struggling with even before things changed with the pandemic. So I'm just trying to figure out why am I doing the work that I'm doing? Um, I mean, I know why I love it, but why am I continuing it to do it at this level? And should I be cutting back or just changing my expectations? And now it's just even more important with things changing so much with the e-learning and the um, you know, being in the background, we are sending our kids to school, but um, for how long, I don't know. And yeah. yeah, our kids need us in new and different ways now. When you think about what it might be like to to leave work and spend time with your your family right now, do you think about that as a short term thing, or do you think that you would step out permanently? I think it depends on the day. I have a very sad feeling of dread if I completely leave work and devote myself entirely to what the kids need during the day because I have spent so much time on this part of myself and it's it's really important and I truly love what I do. But at the same time, I don't want to sacrifice my kids or my family. Mm-hmm. So, um, Is it a something. conversation that you have with your partner? It it is, and he's 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 very supportive of of my choices, and he's really good about reminding me about is this worth it? You know, if, if you make a choice and you feel a certain way, you know, was it was it worth worth it? You know, every day there's opportunity costs involved, and you know, one of the things that I did. Um, so it's about four or five years ago as I went into practice on my own. So I work for myself and that has been a huge uh, game changer for our family. Game changer because it gave you more flexibility. Like what, it, what changed? It did. Uh, 
Because when you work for yourself, in many ways, things are harder, (laughs) but at the same time, they're easier because you are in control of your schedule. You are in control of the types of cases or work environment that you have, and you can make those choices, uh, you know, to, for example, take time off to take a child to the doctor or to um, go to a recital or just take the afternoon off and go to the zoo, you know, things like that. And that really is important to quality of life. And I actually know many attorneys who have decided, you know, um, five, six years into practice, even before I, I had decided to go into practice by myself to, to do that, to make those lifestyle changes. And the, I'm just curious, the attorneys, you know, who've done that, are they all or mostly women? Yes, they are women. And now that I think about it, they, they are. And they're, they're moms as well. Do you feel like like in some way the women's movement rests on your shoulders and your daughters are kind of watching to see what you do? Sometimes I feel that way. And I talk to my mom about that too. Sometimes I feel pressure to continue on a certain path because so many people before me didn't have the opportunity And I can, so I should. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it's about choice. And it's, I'm blessed to have the choice to, um, between, you know, continuing on, you know, leaning, leaning in for a career or taking a step back or taking some time off. It is a choice. It's just a heavy choice. Either way, either way you make it. It is. And I think sometimes when we struggle with making that choice to um, take a step back and maybe go down to part time or reduce hours even more than that, there's a sense of fear because our identity sometimes can be so wrapped up in what we do in terms of, you know, career or vocation. And I think it has to do with reevaluating where should your identity really come from. Yeah. And and I think it's really important in these times to think about that, especially uh, during the times of, you know, job loss or even health challenges that can result in someone not working anymore or having to take time off, you know, and you don't want to have that feeling of that you don't matter anymore or that you're not you anymore because it was so tied up in that job. Again, that was Mirna Seti. And when she wrote in with this question, it really stayed with me. I was hearing it from a lot of people, friends, neighbors. My wife helps run a preschool program, and and lately I've been overhearing her on the phone, listening to parents, but really moms, work through their decisions about whether to quit their jobs. And I want to reiterate, for many families in our country, maybe many of you listening, having one parent stay home is not even an option at all. For others, that option will have long-term financial consequences from which families may not recover. But for those who are spending this year caretaking because they can or because they have to, I want to offer up some career advice. Because leaving a job to help your kids with remote school is not giving up your career. It's being intentional about your life. So how can we plan for the return even as we leave? And how can we support our colleagues who have to make decisions like these? For advice, I called Carol Fishman Cohen. She runs a corporate career reentry program. It's called iRelaunch. She's also written a book called Back on the Career Track, which is all to say that Carol knows a lot about this topic. 
She's been working on this for decades, and she has some much-needed perspective on what stepping out means in 2020. You know, it used to be that if you had a career break on your resume, it would be tossed instantly. Uh, now it's an eligibility requirement for about 100 of these big corporate programs that are out there. So there are shifts, um, but when you're looking much more broadly, uh, you can also feel that not that much has changed. Our families are no less work than they were when I began my career. And that work doesn't necessarily feel like it goes away or that it doesn't still fall on the shoulders primarily of the women in the family. That's right. Um, so I guess you could say, yes, you see these shifts on the employer side, and we can talk about that in a minute. But on the individual side, the conversations that people are having that you're hearing right now, you can say that conversation hasn't changed that much. And why is that? And why is it the women that are the ones who are feeling the brunt of right now, what the, the results of COVID, but, you know, other times throughout history, it feels like it just repeats itself over and over again. I'm in a same-sex relationship. My wife and I have a, a two-year-old, but we still have the same problem, which is that we collectively decided going into our family that economically, one of us was going to have to focus on making sure that the bills were paid and one, making sure that the doctor's appointments got made for our child. And we couldn't see a way around it. We couldn't figure out how to split the work. And so as COVID has, you know, unfolded against the tapestry of our lives over and over again, when a professional decision needs to be made, like it falls in my favor. I'm the one who gets to keep doing what I'm doing. And, and, And I think that it's just important to talk about that for a second, because we have a lot of male listeners. And the thing that unites everybody in our listenership is the the certainty that we need a more just, equitable world of work in the future. And often men are not individually part of the problem as much as the system is not allowing for us to do better. You know, this is such a fascinating area. Uh, I remember Anne-Marie Slaughter in her book, Unfinished Business, came up with this concept of the lead parent, who in the two-person couple is the lead parent. And the person um, who is not the lead parent is probably the breadwinner or the dominant breadwinner. And and we tend to see that division of labor in families that can do that. There is always this conversation and it's pretty complex. So yes, first of all, let's acknowledge it's a conversation where families can make a decision that there's gonna be a single breadwinner. Uh, because there are some families, especially, you know, as we're we're now in a in a downturn, we we had a prior uh, very severe recession. There were people who were propelled back into the workforce sooner than they were anticipating because they didn't want, to, as a family, to be dependent on one employer anymore. There yeah. was too much uh, uncertainty and instability there. But, you know, given the opportunity to have this division of labor, however that however you define that, you often see these conversations. Now, I was in that situation. I took an 11 year career break. And I remember some of these conversations with my spouse about, you know, financial decisions, feeling like 
do I really honestly feel like I have an equal part in that conversation if I'm not actually bringing in the income myself? And, you know, I don't generalize from my own experience. We, we've, we've been interviewed 100 people for the book. We have worked with tens of thousands of relaunchers um, since then. And this is not a unique situation or conversation. I'm wondering if that is, it plays out in your household. Um, I feel so put on the spot, but I'm going to answer that. Honestly, we talk about it. We, I mean, we talk about all the aspects of this, right? And so we talk about how we both feel that our careers matter equally and that our contributions to the family matter equally. And therefore we should feel that our resources belong to us both. And also, if you asked each of us that decision separately... I think you'd probably get different answers. It's much easier for me to say that because I have the security of knowing that I'm the one controlling the bulk of our economic life. And and I know that my wife is listening to this podcast on the other side and will keep me honest about that. These are mm-hmm. these are the hardest conversations to have. They're really vulnerable conversations. Yes, they're so vulnerable and they're they don't just happen with couples. They happen in society. So the broader issue here and the really hard conversations that people have when they go on career break is they become more and more professionally disconnected. And accompanying that can be a diminished sense of self because our society attaches so much importance to what you do for work as part of your whole professional identity that if you take that professional piece away, you can feel this diminished sense of self. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. So Carol, I wanted to talk a little bit about our, our listener Mirna's quandary. Um, specifically, she's in a situation where, um, and acknowledging this is not true for most people, uh, she can leave her job and her family will be okay economically, at least for a while. Um, and she also loves her job. She really likes it. It's a great fit for her. She's really into it. Um, but she's concerned about her kids and probably would like spending the time with them too. How do you advise somebody like that once they've made the decision to leave? I would say to your listener that if she's made the decision to leave, there are a few things that she should do right now. And there are things that she should think about doing um, as she's at the beginning of this new phase. Number one, while her work life is still fresh in her mind, she should sit down and document. So one of the most important things, and, and I would say this for people who are currently working, who are anticipating maybe a future career break, but haven't done that yet, in addition to those who maybe have just made the decision, document the work that you've done. Document uh, milestone moments, positive and negative, anytime you've learned something. Because if you think about it, if you've been on, if you are on career break for a number of years, when you're coming back 
into the workforce, you have to have anecdotes from your prior work experiences that are relevant to whatever roles you will be applying for in the future. Number two is uh, she should really think through and even make lists of important people in her work life. So it could be her clients. It could be like if she has an accountant, you know, people, certain people who uh, work, do work for her. Maybe, maybe she has people who she employs or, or um, people who she contracts with. Uh, and also, you know, people from past roles, but really go through and, and list out who some of these important people are, because she's going to want to keep in touch with them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be that often, but these periodic check-ins are really important. And I'll say for people who are in more complex organizations who might have junior people reporting to them or whom they mentor or who they just know, keep track of those junior people. Because remember, while you're on career break, those junior people are going to be moving up. And we have numerous cases of relaunchers, as we call them, people relaunching their careers. The other thing I would recommend is that she goes into this situation eyes wide open and really understand what is the cost of taking a career break and what is the cost of taking different lengths of career breaks? I, I think most relaunchers who we talk to are, are surprised that they were out as long as they were. So everyone thinking, you know, I only thought I'd be out two or three years. And the next thing you know, I woke up and 10 years had gone by. And that's not that uncommon. So there is something called the career break calculator that was actually created by this economist at the Center uh, for American Progress. This calculator is the all-in cost of taking career breaks at different lengths based on whatever your current income is today. Uh, And it takes into account compounding and social security and some assumptions about uh, increased income over time. And it essentially gives you a number. And so I'd say, if I had had that tool, I, you know, it's really hard to speculate what, what you might have done in different scenarios, but I would speculate that I still would have taken a career break, but it would have been shorter if I had known what the cost was because mm-hmm. it was a pretty big number. In my head, I'm just calculating what my number might be and it's just yeah. making me grow more and more sober. So that, that's what it is. Yeah. All of, all of those ideas are really great ideas. And I wonder if we can be a little bit more pragmatic about the specifics. So you decide not to search for a new job this fall. You decide you're going to leave your employer. You take a leave of absence this fall. Do you recommend having a list of 10 people that you shoot an email to once a month? Like what, how do we do this? The way you're posing it is you're contemplating that maybe people are taking a shorter term leave. And actually, I would throw the question back to you in terms of what you're hearing from people. Do you think they're looking at this almost like the length of a maternity leave, you know, that it would be a several month leave and then they would be coming back? Because that scenario is quite different from the scenario that turns into a number of years. So, you know, and I bet most people don't know. So I would say, though, if you're thinking it's going to be six months, um, you have a group 
list of 10 people. Yeah, I would check in with them maybe every other month. Or if I saw some article about the industry or the company, or if you know them personally, and there's something that has to do with a hobby or or something relevant to them, even almost as a friend and colleague, yes, I would check in with them. But I wouldn't be doing it in any, any kind of relentless, sort of contrived, forced way. Sure, that makes I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, And I think that it's like you say, that a lot of people think that they're going to take six months to address this situation. But then it also seems like people fall into two camps. There are some people who are stepping away from what they're doing. If Myrna leaves law, for example, she's a very happy lawyer. So should she choose to go back to work? I would imagine she might choose a similar profession. And then there's a whole cohort of people who, like many women and men in the middle of their career, get to a point where they say, well, this is not nearly as fulfilling as I thought it would be when I began. I want to do something different. And it seems like the challenge is a little bit different if that's the case. I'm curious if you ever work with those types of people. Absolutely. Uh, So the career break is often a time of reflection where you step back and give yourself the opportunity you hadn't given yourself before to reflect on whether you were even on the right career path to begin with. Were you fulfilling someone else's expectations? Like your parents always wanted you to go to law school. You, you know, were, did you just fall into something? Because, you know, most of us were right out of college. We're not that strategic about it. We don't know ourselves very well yet. And one of the better best practices that career coaches will give younger people is just try a bunch of stuff, you know? So, so you try things, you fall into things. Then at, at some point, you end up getting a second role in the same field. And the next thing you know, you have a career. And then you're just kind of, you know, focusing on that. And it's not till you have the career break that you have the opportunity to step back and really think about do I want to go back to that exact field or do I want to do something completely different or maybe something related? And, you know, the other theme uh, is this theme about control. How much control do you have over your time, your schedule, where and how you work? So for your listener, the lawyer, um, you know, it's pretty interesting. We've seen some very uh, uh, creative ways of uh, people staying connected with their field while they've been on career break. Now in law, and I, I actually just uh, in, just interviewed a relaunched lawyer years later who had a 38-year career in academia after starting out in a law firm, uh, started out by teaching two adjunct, as an adjunct, two courses, um, a, a business law courses at a university. And it was kind of a last minute thing. They were looking for someone at the last minute. And she just said, I guess I'll try it. And it turned into this uh, really uh, amazing career path for herself. So anything that is a short term version of something related to to what your career goals are, is a great way to keep your toe in the water. And we would recommend to the extent that you can do it, understanding that, you know, people say, wait, I took my career break because I have all this stuff going on at home, not so I can do all sorts of prep and things for myself so I'll be ready and better positioned to go back in. So I want to acknowledge that part up front, but you can work this in over time. Yes, maybe you could teach one course a semester in a field that's related to your career goals and you have a lot of control uh, over that time and and the prep time and and when the course time is. So Carol, 
for people who have been on a career break for a while, maybe even longer than they thought that they would be, what do they need to start to consider, particularly given that the economy has just uh, confounded all of us? What do they need to be thinking about? So when people are on career break for an extended period and are getting ready to return, one of the first things and actually the most important thing they, they need to think about is what do they want to do all over again? They, they have to figure that out because everything else about their relaunch drives off of this decision about what they want to do. And that is either do they want to go back to exactly what they left? Were, on, were they on exactly the right career path to begin with? Um, do they like it? But there was something about that role that was incompatible with their life stage. So they go back to something related. Or are they going to relaunch their career in an entirely different direction? So they have to make that decision. And then within that, they have to get really specific. The other thing is you have to become a subject matter expert all over again. So whether you're returning to your same field or whether you're going to be in a, a different field, your confidence is going to be helped the more you know. And the other thing is for people who are worried about ageism, because many of us who are on extended career breaks are returning to work in our 40s and our 50s, sometimes older, people will be more focused on the substance of what you're talking about than the fact that, you know, you're you're in your 50s and you're coming off of a 15-year career break if you have that subject matter expertise behind you. And an offshoot of that, and this is related actually to uh, your lawyer uh, a listener who, who you spoke to, certifications and recertifications. So, you know, can she keep up her her bar membership? Um, you know, are there certifications that certain people have in their fields where they have to renew or take continuing education? People will say later on, I'm so glad I didn't let my license go. And then we say, don't get too hung up on level. Don't get hung up on level. Just get your foot in the door and then you'll move back up over time. All of this is very, very good advice, but it's also advice for any time someone takes a substantial break from work. And we aren't living through any time, of course. Responses to the COVID-19 pandemic have caused unprecedented job loss. So I also wanted to know from Carol what's specific about job searching in a downturn, in this downturn. You know, we talked to our relauncher population at iRelaunch who were successful in the last recession getting jobs and wanted to understand what was helpful for them. What did they do? that, that uh, allowed them to get hired in, in, in a downturn. And one of the things that they said was, A, they didn't do it alone. They did this with a group of people who also were trying to return so they could support each other because they needed, it was gonna take longer than they anticipated. They might not uh, have been able to get that perfect role that they were hoping for. And to be in a group, uh, not only were they accountable every week when they got together, but they also um, had sounding boards and support when things didn't go their way. And the other thing they had to remember is they, when they went public with their job search, is they had to ignore the naysayers. All the people who are going to say, well, yeah, you're looking for a job, isn't everyone? Or, oh, the market's terrible. Like, God, you'll never get hired. They had to filter that out because they were getting that kind of input and they had to make a decision ahead of time that they were going to put that aside. Uh, and then finally, when they had delays, and this is actually 
relevant even when there's not a downturn, but sometimes these delays, if they're in a job search process with an employer, you could go for weeks or sometimes like a couple of months without hearing from, from your employer um, that you're in a, a job uh, recruiting process with. And they realized that was not about them. That was usually about something going on at the company on the recruiter side, where the recruiter was under pressure to change directions for a period of time and then come back to them later. And so having an understanding about that upfront, it's not about you when there are delays, is really helpful uh, for your mindset as you're, you're going through this process in a downturn. Um, well spoken, particularly that last piece. You know, you have so little control over some of these bigger systems, so don't personalize it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was Carol Fishman-Cohen. To learn more about her work helping other people get back to work, visit her online at irelaunch.com. I love talking to Carol, and I think you'll love talking to her too. She has so much more to share about the experience of taking time off and then coming back. And so this week, I asked her to join us for our office hours. You know, that's the weekly time when our producer, Sarah Storm, and I get together for coffee with you on LinkedIn Live, Wednesday afternoons at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll chat about our work with iRelaunch, and we're going to take your questions. You can even send them to us in advance if you want at hellomonday at linkedin.com. Then join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Hello Monday Office Hours on LinkedIn Live to find us, follow me, Jesse Hempel, on LinkedIn. And this episode came from you listeners. You wrote to us with your questions, and we try to find the answers. So send us more episode ideas. You can always write to us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. And now, if you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Madison Schaefer. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Victoria Taylor and Juliette Ferreau help keep us professionally connected. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh. When my little girl, my oldest is now uh, eight, but when she was two month, two years old, I saw her playing with a helicopter toy and she right. was rocking it like a baby. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And we tried hard. We bought her cars and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I'm, I'm living that truth right now. <laughs> <laughs>